This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today's topic is money problems then versus now. So as time goes by, the issues that people deal with when it comes to money shift and change. So we thought it would be kind of fun to think about what are some of the money problems now and how do they differ from what they were when maybe your grandparents were thinking about retirement. So with me today, I have financial planner Julie Chadwick. And Julie, kick us off with the first one. What do we want to talk about first? Well, the first thing that we look at is retirement money was guaranteed back then, right? (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely not guaranteed now. Right. So like in 1960, 41% of the private sector workers were covered under pension plans. Wow. What a change from today. Those pension plans aren't there anymore because people are living longer and the pension plans just did not support them. Right. And part of the reason that the pension plans kind of, a lot of them went belly up is because people started living much longer than the math in the pension plans was originally designed to provide for. So if you are going to retire from a job when you're 65, they only anticipated you living maybe five to seven years originally, if that. Mm -hmm. And now you're living 20 to 30 years. (laughs) So it's no wonder that so many of those pensions basically went broke. So now the workers are in charge of their own savings for their golden years. So yes. And so think about that is your grandparents didn't have to fund their 401k. They didn't have to worry about saving money in some kind of after-tax account to make sure ends met. They were looking at retirement and saying, I'm going to be able to live comfortably on Social Security and on my pension. And that, for sure, is not the same conversation that we're having now. Right. (laughs) It's hard to find a company these days that even offers a pension anymore. Right. There's very few of them. And even the pensions that are out there shift and change. First of all, there's a lot of pensions that have gone backwards on their benefits. Mm -hmm. So they have reduced the amount that they're willing to pay or they've shut their pension plan down and just paid out benefits in a lump sum that's a reduced amount, which sounds like such a great idea because you get this wad of money, right? All at once (laughs) instead of having to wait. Right. And the thing about it is if they would just uphold their original promise and pay you out what they originally said for your entire life, it would be much more lucrative for people. But they aren't even giving them the options anymore. Right. And then we've all heard about the pensions that literally just went bankrupt. Airline pensions, different businesses' pensions that went bankrupt and, and left people high and dry who didn't save for retirement because they were counting on that pension. And those are catastrophic events and a lot of times put those people back into the workforce. Yep. Most definitely. So the other thing that's kind of funny about the retirement money being guaranteed was Social Security was more of a guarantee also. And now we see things on our Social Security statements that say, oh, by this year, Social Security is going to be broke. Right. <laughs> they say right now by 2034 is when the, um, the Social Security is going to have to make changes because they're going to be running out. They're going to be putting out more than they're taking in. So in 2034, the amount of money collected from American workers' paychecks for Social Security every single month is going to be less than what they're paying out in benefits to everybody that's on claim. 
Yeah. So when and and there are some laws that say Social Security can't borrow money. Right. So the federal government has put provisions into place that say if they go backwards on that, if they're underwater, they can't go pull it from somewhere else. Right. So that's where you're going to see the Social Security Administration making changes. So Mm -hmm. they're probably going to be reducing benefits or making you wait even longer before it was 65, now it's 67. Yep. So those those are ways that they're going to change it to enhance that. Now, I think it's less likely that people on claim are going to see a reduction in their benefits. I think that people who haven't started taking it yet are going to see a smaller amount and they're going to see a later age that they're able to claim it. Right. But especially for younger people today, you can't expect there to be a huge amount of guarantee. There's got to be something because they're withholding it from your paycheck. So right. it's not like it could just go away. But never say never. You, you, you'd hope so, right? <laughs> Those people with pensions never thought their pension would go away either. Right. <laughs> so the result of that was having to have 401ks and Roth IRAs. The key was is now that you're in charge of your retirement, it's the discipline of making sure that you're actually putting that money away into that plan. Very true, Julie. And here's the thing about that is if money isn't going to be guaranteed from somewhere else and you have to figure out how to create that yourself, then the biggest focus that you want to have is how do you grow your money until you get to retirement? And once you're in retirement, how do you protect and grow it? Because not all of your money is going to be spent in the first few years of retirement. So there still has to be some growth on some of your money. Absolutely. Yeah. So Retirement money used to be guaranteed. Now you're in the driver's seat and you have to figure out your own type of guarantees. Right. <laughs> in fact, in the investment industry, the word guarantee is not used very much it's anymore. Kind of like voodoo. We don't like to use that word. <laughs> Our compliance people will probably yeah. not even like it that we've said the word guarantee <laughs> so many times in this show. <laughs> so really is what we recommend is that you spend save anywhere from 10 to 15% in your savings from your paycheck or your household income to be able to put away for your retirement savings. Right. The more that you save, the bigger the percentage that you save, the more likely you are to create something that can turn into a stream of income to last you a lifetime. And you don't have to worry about the company going bankrupt or taking away your benefits. <laughs> <Hopefully> not. It's yourself. <laughs> it's yourself that you're talking about. All right. So the next thing that is different than versus now is that the cost of living was just a lot darn lower back then. It really was. (laughs) Yeah. So think about this. In 1967, the average price of a home was $22,200. Think about that. Right now, your last car probably cost more than your grandparents' first home. (laughs) (laughs) That's a concept. This is what inflation is all about. Right. Right. So now... The median home price in the United States is is over $203,000. So from $22,000 to $203,000 for the price of a home. That's just from 1967. That's an increase of 816% over a 50-year period. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. Now, for sure... Wages have gone up, incomes have gone up, things like that are different, but we haven't really seen an 816% increase in the wage base in the United States to support this type of increase in the housing cost. Housing, education, the food, just transportation, all of that has increased substantially. And medical costs, I think, are one of the biggest offenders with that. Mm -hmm. So your grandparents definitely had a much lower cost of living 
I would have to say, too, though, they also kind of placed a different value on a dollar. Right. I mean, they, they treasured it a little bit more. We, we freely will spend small dollars in today's day and age on things that don't matter. Right. A cup Just of coffee frivolous. and, right. you know, a pack of gum or something like that where your grandparents didn't really do that. They made their own coffee. They didn't spend $5 for a cup of coffee. <laughs> exactly. They would have looked at that and thought, that is absolutely crazy. No way, no how. And I might spend money on store-bought coffee. <laughs> so we have the modern conveniences that we've all succumbed to as well. Right. So how do you address this today? Because we definitely have a higher cost of living, and that's not something that everybody can really do anything about. But one of the things that you can do is just be paying attention to what your big, big expenses are. You know, we see a lot of people who are um, house poor, where they have a big, expensive house, and they may not even have enough money left over to furnish it. Right. Um, or we see people who have a expensive house and they have it mortgaged to the hilt. Um, or we see people who, instead of putting a small amount of their income towards their housing costs, they have almost half of their income dedicated to paying that mortgage and anything associated with it, which then puts them into a pinch for the rest of their living expenses. Right. So you got to prioritize things. If you're putting all of uh, your income into a house payment or a car payment or the things that you want to have now, like your boats and your fun things, mm-hmm. that's less money that you're putting away for retirement. Now, speaking to younger people... If you're living in a city where maybe public transportation is feasible as a way to get around, that's definitely a way to save some money, cut down on the big expenses to eliminate a car payment. You also could reduce your rent by maybe finding a roommate or something like that. Um, Or you could find a side gig. So a lot of younger people have a job and then they have something that they're doing a couple nights a week or something on the side just to create a little bit of extra cash. Now, I don't think any of those things necessarily apply as much when you get older. Right. (laughs) You're not just going to go find a roommate to live with. You might marry it. (laughs) Or another job. If you've got a full-time job, that's the last thing you want. Right. But if you are maybe older, you could think about reducing some of these big expenses by moving to a less expensive city. Or a less expensive region of the United States, especially when you are planning your retirement. So there are certainly regions in the United States that are much less expensive than other ones. You know, the Midwest is less less expensive than the coastal areas, but retirees like to be warm, right? And have that (laughs) have the the nice body water around them, right? Yeah. So where can you find something that blends the two? That's the kind of things that you want to pay attention to. All right, the last thing I want to talk about before we go to break is a major difference between then and now is back then, budgeting was a way of life. It was something that your grandparents did. They knew what money they had. They knew how much they had to spend. And when they didn't have any more, they didn't spend any more. Right. They lived within their means, which is a crazy concept in today's times. <laughs> a lot of times when we're talking with clients and we mention the word budget, they almost want to get up and leave. <laughs> right. That's the B word in the financial industry. <laughs> which is kind of a crazy concept when you're looking at retirement planning. You really need to know what the expenses are, what your income is, and how much you can save to right. be able to make a successful retirement plan. Absolutely. And there's an easy way to do budgeting and there's a harder way to do budgeting. And we're certainly open to working with people to do both to help help you figure out what you need to be doing to live within your means now, but also what you need to be saving so that you can continue that, you know, that lifestyle when you actually get to your retirement years. So 
then and now, I think budgeting is still essential. Now, that doesn't mean you need to live on a budget and that you need to watch every dollar. What we're saying is you do have to understand your cash flow. You have to understand what's coming in and what's going out to not have that get upside down on you. And a lot of times it's just good to look back on it because it just gives you a conscience of, what are you really spending your money on? And a lot of times people then just simply realize, well, I'm really wasting a lot of money yeah. by jumping in the gas. You know, instead of just going to the gas station and getting gas, I run into the store and get a soda and get a pop and get a candy bar and whatever else, right? I promise you that if you actually tracked every dollar you spent for 30 days, you would have some very eye-opening right. aha moments. right. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about money problems then versus now. So we've talked a little bit about how retirement money used to be guaranteed and how the cost of living was a lot lower and how in the old days budgeting really was a way of life and, and today things have really shifted. Well, Julie, share with us a little bit about what's the next issue that's very different between then and now. Another issue that's really big these days is identity theft. That was yeah. not an issue back then. <laughs> Isn't that funny to think about? Right. Your grandparents never, ever lost a wink of sleep thinking about the possibility of identity theft. It wasn't even a word. It, yeah, and it wasn't phrase. definitely wasn't an issue. It was in the Bible, you know, pretending to be someone else who hasn't been around since Jacob and Esau. And that's really all <laughs> anyone ever thought of for identity theft. Right. But, you know, I mean, there's so many different places now that have had different, you know, security breaches, major companies like Target. And then we had the, um, the, the breach in the credit company and things like that here recently. And so I don't think anymore that it's if your information is going to be hacked. I think it's when. A matter of when. It's going right. to be hacked. And companies can do everything possible to try to protect it. But the crooks are just getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And then with the technology and everything on computers, they can figure a way through it. So, Right. In 2016, 15.4 million consumers lost $16 billion to identity theft. That's an enormous amount. It's $16 huge amount. billion. No wonder it's a burgeoning industry, right? I mean, apparently it's very lucrative for the thieves. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, even, you know, they say to check your credit score. Well, then your credit score company got hacked as well. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. So that is kind of full circle, right? Right. So your grandparents never had to worry about that. They basically probably had a bank account, and they maybe had an investment account. And, and if they were um, very savvy, they might have had two. You know, so things were just very different then. And now most people now have multiple investment accounts scattered around in all kinds of different places. They're not really paying as much attention to them as they probably ought to. And identity theft is running rampant. So from our perspective as financial planners, we highly recommend that everybody now have some type of identity theft coverage. And a lot of times when we mention that, people say, oh, I do. My bank will alert me. Mm -hmm. But as what that d tells us is that you're going to be alerted after your identity has been compromised. And at that point, it's already too late. So then it's really just trying to pick up, you know, fix the mess. Right. So we want you to get identity theft protection that alerts you before something happens. So the better identity theft coverages are going to notify you when new credit is taken out in your name. And if you know that wasn't you, you could immediately shut it down and stop it. Um, because the thing about identity theft is 
if your identity itself has been stolen, not just your money, but if your identity has been stolen, it's incredibly expensive to unwind that and and get it back to normal. And that's really where the identity theft companies can shine is helping you recover your losses as well as getting your own identity back. I mean, this is such a big deal. There was even a movie about it not too long ago. It was really, it was a comedy and it was actually a really funny movie. But um, it was, it was for sure something that just happens all the time. Right. And people are more like, like you said, kind of expecting that it's going to happen. So that's really kind of sad that you expect to be, you know, have your identity <laughs> taken. But just to be aware of it and take precautions. We used to know our bankers personally, like our, yes. our grandparents, you know, yep. they had one bank and one investment account. They knew them personally. Now you can open an account and invest online. Yeah. Or, you know, you can have your credit card. You know, no one else is watching that except you. Which here I'm just going to give a little plug for your friendly local financial planner because – robo-advice is becoming kind of a big thing. And robo-advice means that you can set up accounts online. You literally never have talked to another human being. You get money put into an investment account. But if everything is always done online and somebody can hack your identity, it means they can hack your robo-account and steal it, right? So, and we have had instances where people have called us saying they were somebody and wanting to withdraw money. And because we know our clients, we're able to say, yeah, I don't think this is legit. And then actually called our clients to find out, no, it was not legit. It wasn't, they, the people requesting the money weren't who they said they were. Right. So it's the real relationships that have kind yes. of gone by the wayside that, you know, help that identity theft. All right. Moving on to the next topic. One of the big differences between then and now is that healthcare did not cost as much as it does now. I mean, 50 years ago, healthcare spending was already high. It was a $23.3 billion industry. And now it's estimated to be $2.7 trillion. And growing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the typical cost for a family of four to have health care for a year on a group plan is almost $27,000. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. $27,000 now today to insure a family of four. So if you're thinking about retiring, especially if you're thinking about retiring early before age 65 and Medicare kicks in, you are going to have a little bit of shell shock when it comes to the price of health insurance. That becomes a huge part of our retirement planning when we're talking about people about retiring and retiring early because they're not thinking, you know, they're thinking about health care and that's going to be an expense. But when we tell them how much they have to put away for that, it's really shocking to people. Right. So the thing that is, I think, most interesting about this is that it's not just the cost of health insurance that's gone up. It's the cost of drugs. It's the cost of services. It's everything. And where it's killing people is if they're not prepared with having some level of emergency money set aside, then it can really decimate their finances. And and it used to be, you know, that, oh, if you had a health, you know, issue, you, you could take uh, some eggs and a chicken and barter that with your, <laughs> your doctor. <laughs> that does not work any longer. because yeah, your, your doctor's vegan now. <laughs> so you don't know. But that doesn't fly. So you have to have that emergency fund set up for unexpected expenses. Mm-hmm. 
Another thing to help out with that is a health savings account. Those are really have come in to save people a lot. Right. And not everybody's eligible for a health savings account, but if you are, it's a great idea to fill that baby with as much money as you're allowed to because it's going to give you some tax benefits to pay for the escalating costs of health care related things. So basically you're getting tax savings on things that you're going to spend money on anyway. I like that idea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a double. That's a double. <laughs> All right, so the last main topic that we're going to talk about is how debt has shifted over time. So in your grandparents' era, they didn't have a lot of credit cards, and they didn't buy a lot of things on credit. So this idea of buying things on credit really didn't start coming into play and then started just kind of trickling into society maybe in about the 1970s. But now, the average American has about three credit cards and generally has about $17,000 worth of credit card debt. Now, some of you out there are going to have your jaws drop and say they have how much? Well, you're probably a little bit more old school and you don't have that kind of debt. But I'm saying the average American has about $17,000 worth of credit card debt. That's a lot. That's a lot. And the sad thing is, is we've seen people that actually have more than that. Yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so even if you're paying your balance in full, most of us are using credit cards. I certainly do. I mm -hmm. use credit cards on a on a on a daily basis. Um, and I use them because I find it to be an easy way to track my spending. It's an easy way to track spending. A lot of the credit cards offer balance, you know, mm -hmm. points, you know, for flying or whatever. So you get points back and you get extra interest if you're using these certain companies' credit cards. So they entice you very, you know, they definitely do. <laughs> very well to make you use their cards. <laughs> my favorite store in the world is Barnes and Noble. I love buying and reading books. And so, um, my credit cards are giving me points at Barnes and Noble. And I just like, I think it's really fun to get those little gift cards in the mail and then go to Barnes and Noble and buy some books. Right. But for sure, that's maybe not the wisest thing for everybody to do. I'm somebody who pays my balance off every month, but if you're not, the credit cards can definitely get you in trouble. And what's really interesting about this is that your, your grandparents didn't have lots of debt, but your current people definitely do. So... In that spirit, we hope that managing your debt is something that you're focusing on and something that is uh, a primary goal <laughs> for people and that you can get back to the level that your grandparents were where debt was something that was on a faraway horizon and not something that is a big current problem for them. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk talking about money problems then versus now. Views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturt Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturt Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.